Good morning. Good morning. I understand you wish to see me. You slept well? A little restless, but I got off eventually. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the hijinks. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? All right, here we go. Another visit to the Spears Lair. I hope you rented those James Bond flicks like you promised. Remember, Daly, no Crown Royal, no Crown Royal, no Crown Royal. What the? Hello there. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Field Office of the MI6. I'm... Lynn Holly Johnson? <laughs> Maybe in another movie. Here, I prefer to be called BB Doll. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to need some Crown Royal for this one. Why? Don't you like me? Um... Oh, James, you have a visitor. One with a really big head. Ah, yes, Daly, my old friend. Welcome back. Oh, Bonzi. Aren't you going to come back to bed and show me some new tricks? Everybody knows it builds muscle tone. Bonzi? Bonzi? No way, dude. You're not James Bond. James Bond doesn't live in a hovel in Tampa Bay. James Bond doesn't have a beer gut. James Bond doesn't have little Smokies cooking in a crock pot. Hello there, Bond. Q? Q standing in Spearsy's kitchen? Of course I'm here. Where else would I be? This isn't happening. Q is just running down the specs on some special gadget he invented for this week's show. Now pay attention, Bond. This is important. This looks like an ordinary Rubik's Cube, much like the others scattered around your shabby lair, as you call it. But it's no such thing. When you make this side entirely orange, out pops a twenty-two caliber pistol. And per your specifications, if you solve it entirely, it produces a bottle of wild turkey and plays your favorite romantic music. Oh, Bonzi, I love this song. I'm feeling all tingly inside again. Come play with me. Oh, all right. God, this is the worst day of my life. I'm sorry, are you still here? Hey Q, you know what? I've been the co-host of this damn show for three years. Don't give me any of your crap. You know, Bond, if your friend Mr. Daly had any less hair on his legs, he could be a body double for Miss Moneypenny. Good one, Q. Hey Daly, you want to check out the cube? Hey, what's this button for? Don't touch that. Mmm, now you're talking, Bonzi. <laughs> Ah, screw it. Hey, Q, you want to get drunk? Grow up, Daily. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the A's. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And with me... Agent 008 and three quarters, because that's his head size, Sean Daly. Uh, you just stole that joke from our special guest. I did, because also with us today, some of us call him Blofeld. His wife calls him Dr. No. She, <laughs> she, calls, she calls me Agent 0012. <laughs> oh, Ooh, all saucy. right. Very nice. Hey, it's Times film critic Steve Persall. 
Nice to be here again. Yeah, your gala return, man. Yeah. You're just knocking them down, man. They Every- love you. The phone lines light up when Persol does one of these shows. Or else the um, pods turn off. Yeah, <laughs> no. People flip no. out when you're on here. Because you know what? You bring content, which is a rarity <laughs> on this show. I bring intelligence. Yeah. I'm already in- uncomfortable with all the content that's about to be uh, delivered on this yeah. show. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to process it. We have been waiting forever to do this show. It's Bond in the 80s day. Finally, it's stuck in the 80s. I've been waiting for you to take care of me personally. Hey, so the point of today is we're going to go through the Bond movies of the 80s. There were six of them. Uh, if you count the rogue flick, Never Say Never Again. And uh, we're going to tell you, we're going we're gonna to run through them real quick chronologically, not in any particular order. We'll eventually tell you what our favorites are. We will eventually tell you what our favorite Bond flick of all time was. And uh, after the break, Steve Persall is going to give you a sneak preview of uh, Quantum of Solace. But we're we're going to go through these chronologically, but in no particular order. I just want to get this straight. This is the intelligence that I bring to this show. <laughs> I can tell you, oh, this is cutting room floor right now. Yeah. I'd save you, guys. No, 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 no. Did he really? I didn't even pick him up saying that. I know exactly what you're up to, and quite frankly, you're going to need my help. Remember, if it hadn't been for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. Let me start by asking this question. Steve Persall, impression of the entire Bond franchise. Like it, love it, hate it. Well, you know, if I had to give the whole franchise a letter grade as I do with my movie reviews, I'd probably have to give it yeah, a good solid B, maybe a B plus. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it, I, it's certainly the longest movie series ever with 22 official films. And then the other two, you're the, the comedic Casino Royale. And as you mentioned, Never Say Never Again. So it is longer than the Police Academy yes, series? Yes, yes, yes. It's three times longer than the Police Academy series. Oh, God. The fact that you know how many Police Academy movies there are. <laughs> hey, it's my job. But no, uh, when you when you look at the Sean Connery years, I don't think there's any of those movies that you can rate under an A. I mean, those the, mm-hmm. those those are the best. Those are the best, and about half of the more years you can put them in the same category, and then it starts tailing off a little bit with Timothy Dalton, but picks up. About how many did Connery do? What did he do? Six. Six. I think it was six. Back in the sixties, right? Yeah. He was done by the sixties. No, he was. Uh, he finished up in the mid seventies with Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, okay. He took uh, he took one year off to, uh, or one movie off when George Lazenby came in and did uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and then he came back again and did Diamonds Are Forever in his seventy three seventy four something like that. And then Moore jumped in with uh, Spy Who Loved Me around. Uh, he jumped in with Live and Let Die. Oh, Live and, and Let Die. In what seventy five? Excellent. Seventy six. Yeah, yeah. So a B. So this iconic franchise BB Plus doesn't get an A because we hit a, a bad patch. Oh yeah. Yeah, we we hit an oil slick with Timothy Dalton. Ooh, oh, I don't me. know about that. I'm going to beg to disagree, but I'll, I'll save it till we get to the Dalton years. The Dalton years. That doesn't sound right. It sounds like a, a bad CW TV series. I thought the Bond yeah. series uh, really went downhill when Bobcat Goldthwait started get. Oh wait, <laughs> no, no, no I'm a, nah, I see. I keep I keep uh, messing up. You suck. Anyway, let's start with our first 1980s Bond flick. Yeah, 1981. I give you for your eyes only. Melina, look at me. You were lucky once, but they are on to you now. The telegram, the motorcycle's back there. They prove it. Now, please let me handle this. You? How are you involved? All I can tell you is something of vital interest to both our countries. More important than my parents? Your father was part of it. He thought it important enough to risk his life. Now, Melina, please trust me. Go back to the Triana and wait. Let me find out what I can here, then I'll come straight to Corfu, I promise you. Okay. 
I'll go back and wait. But not for long. It won't be, I swear. Amore, amore. I love this flick. I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm going to say it right now. It's an early contender for my favorite Bond flick of all time. Well, it's, it's it's certainly one of Roger Moore's better ones that he that he did. I the ski that. chase, awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing I like about Fury Eyes Only, I think I, I really enjoy it too. Is that this is when I first got cable? Okay, so eighty one, eighty two, and Fury Eyes Only was on HBO all the time, all the time, and so I must have seen it like fifty times. So you had no really point of reference to go on because you hadn't really seen the earlier Bond movies, or ah, I'm going to say yeah. By that point, yeah, okay. probably. I mean, you Poor know, child. They, Huh? Poor child. Yeah, you know, it's all right. I caught up. But yeah, I love it too. I mean, Sean and I probably, when we were introduced to Bond for the first time, it probably was the Roger Moore, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I mean, when I remember seeing old Bond flicks going, who the hell is this guy mm-hmm. when it was Connery? But, but Free Eyes Only has nice, A, it's got a great theme song. Oh, it's terrible. The Are Sheena Easton song? Sheena Easton. For your eyes only, it should be in a tampon commercial. Ah, uh, climb inside those sugar walls. Not, oh. well, that's a, sugar walls is fine, but your eyes only sucks. No, terrible. You, you're out of your mind. I can't believe it. God, she you sad me. She also appears on screen singing the uh, song during the lyrics. First time that ever happens in a Bond really? movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that uh, that I think hurts the late seventy and and into the eighties movies is, as we've talked about before, with regard to Indiana Jones and some other movie series, the advent of massive special effects, the post Star Wars type of period too. And when you had personalities like Roger Moore up, you know, standing in front of those kinds of massive effects, the outer space stuff, for example, in Moonraker and these kinds of things, it really sort of dwarfed him. And it made made him he made him look more inconsequential and sillier than he was actually acting. I think. Well, I was I was watching uh, in my not so humble opinion. Yeah, and I was watching all the uh, Bond movies last night, and uh, they've they've been re released. And Roger Moore provides audio commentary for him now, and he's sitting there. You know, what else is he? Thirty years later, <laughs> you know, twenty years later, thirty years later after he records the, after he did these movies, and and he's he's real upfront about the fact that he prefers. The movies without all the special effects that he mm-hmm. just he doesn't feel comfortable in them. He feel, he just wants to get up there and do his shtick. I caught him on the uh, Today Show the other day. He has that new uh, book out now, an autobiography. My word is my bond, and he nice. was he was he was promoting that, and he very freely admitted that he knows he was the probably the most despised bond of all of them from what he's you know gathered from web chat sites and that oh, sort of thing. That's sad. See, I'll defend them to the hilt. Because this is the one, this well, is the bond I grew up with. I mean, listen, yeah. Connery's a badass, and and Remington Steele, he was pretty good. But Roger Moore, come on, he was comical, no. the zinger, yeah, the funniest Bond, definitely. I like my Bond to be a little, you know, to do crack you, wise. Do you really want a guy to just cracking jokes while the world is is perilously perched on the edge? <laughs> the thing about Casino Royale, the new one, is that the, there was tons of action, but the special effects weren't overt. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of no, green screen. No, it's 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 more, uh, uh, you know, actual stunt coordination. 
Yeah, I, I, I like so, my so, Bond to have a martini and a Walter PPK, yeah. and it's fine. You know, I don't need a lot of guff and gus. Well, but you know what gets me? And it, it works for your eyes only because um, the one thing that irritates me about Bond movies is is the really ridiculously long chase scenes. I mean, it just, I mean, you know, if you look at your watch and 15 minutes has gone by and they're still chasing each other around in a car. But in, in uh, Fiora's Only, the best chase scene is the ski scene. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. So it's like at least they like mixed it up a little bit. I mean, I can take 15 minutes of watching skiing. Plus, Fiora's Only has my lover, Lynn Holly Johnson. How did you get in here? One of the porters is a fan. He'll do anything for me. And I'll do anything for you. Well, I'm exceedingly flattered, B.B., but you're in training. That's a laugh. Everybody knows it builds up muscle tone. Well, I'm not building up a little more muscle tone by putting on your clothes. Don't you like me? Why, I think you're wonderful, B.B., but I don't think your Uncle Ari would approve. Him? He thinks I'm still a virgin. Yes, well, you get your clothes on, and I'll buy you an ice cream. Ah. Very perky. From Ice Castles, correct? Yeah. We were, however old we were at the time, that was like, that was porn. And Bond doesn't bang her, does he? No. Hmm. Idiot. Yeah, why is he so chaste in this? Uh, he, he is. Who's the he? biggest slut out of all the Bonds? Ooh. Who's um, the biggest Bond slut? Roger Moore, probably? Oh. Yeah, he betted everybody like, yeah, right off yeah, the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. I mean, uh, Connery, Connery would uh, go to bed with women only if he wanted to you know, make sure that they were there for a human shield <laughs> yeah. later on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of sluts, let's move on to 1983, Octopussy. I'm not for hire. Oh, a man of principle with a price on his head. Naturally, you do it for queen and country. I have no country. I have no price on my head. I don't have to apologize to you, a paid assassin, for what I am. You know, that's that's when I really started losing my patience with the whole Roger Moore and the special effects types of things. You know, the, the whole uh, um, outer space thing, which we had seen time and time again, uh, of you know, satellites orbiting the Earth that have death rays or whatever it may be that's, that's going on. But you, you saw that kind of outer space motif, is what I'm saying. Not the yeah. same plot, necessarily. And it also, I tell you, it, sh- it slows down the musical score, just like uh, with Thunderball when they're underwater. If the action is slower because of zero gravity or because of, of water pressure, you know, the music has to slow down to match it, too. So you don't have the, the music doesn't pulsate quite as much either. I, th- I was watching, uh, I watched Octopussy last night completely, barely. I mean, because it sucked the life out of me towards the end. I remember it being good. Isn't he in like a submarine shaped like an alligator? Uh, he when he goes to Octopussy's Island, yes, yeah. he sneaks in on the uh, the floating alligator. Nice island, though. It is a nice. <laughs> island. <laughs> Who could be bored by Maude Adams? Remember Tattoo, the movie Tattoo yeah. with Bruce yeah. Stern? Yeah. Hot. I love Maude Adams. The um, <laughs> everybody remembers this movie. Love any, is there anybody you don't love who wears a skirt? <laughs> <laughs> I once saw Spearsy in a skirt. That wasn't so no, good. No. We won't talk about yeah. that. Next podcast. Yeah. Sleepy, sleepy. <laughs> The, uh, the the thing that always reminds people of Octopussy is that the beginning, right at the very beginning where he's got the fake horse ass that pops up and reveals the small jet, and he flies through the hangar on the jet. Uh, and uh, I, I read somewhere that that actually happened. That when they filmed that, he actually, not him, but the stunt pilot th- flew that mini jet through an airplane hangar at 150 miles per hour. Oh, cool. 
which that's a real stunt. Yeah, I mean, when you see it, when you CGI, that's not green screen. That's a stunt, baby. That's old school. Well, he does it, but now in the movie, when you see it and you it moves through the hangar, you see Roger Moore in the plane, and you can clearly see the metal pole that's holding up the fake airplane as they roll it through real fast. But you know, to film the going in and going out, man, that guy. It's real deal, he man. He did it, yeah. Um, God, I mean, Octopus is one of those weird movies that um, it's one of the few movies that doesn't have the name of the movie as the name of the theme song. Thank oh, God. I like, the, I like the theme song. Well, they never get that past uh, radio standards and practices. True, true. Um, uh, all Time High by Rita Cooter. It's good. I like it. Was nice. It was kind of like a 1976. If he sings again, folky I'm leaving. Pop. <laughs> if he what? If he sings again, I'm leaving. Uh, uh, I do like the Rita Coolidge song. I mean, you, you know, iTunes doesn't even sell. Whoa, what is well, that? Hold on. I've got, I got a phone call. Come in. Hold on. Oh, no. That is, in fact, Hello. Steve's uh, cell phone. Hello, baby. That's how he rolls. Uh, what? Okay. Quarter milk, head of cabbage, and a pack of wieners. Okay. <laughs> Okay, thanks a lot, baby. Uh, yeah, love you. Bye. I'm sorry, guys. Only two of those things can be bought at a store. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the rest is all Sean and Spearsy. <laughs> the uh, Octopussy is also one of the first. Now, that's the final. It's not the final movie by, uh, by Roger Moore, but at this point, he clearly wants out of the franchise, and he wasn't shy about saying at the end of uh, Free Eyes Only, he wanted out, and uh, they were constantly at this point trying to recast the role and find his replacement you know, as he was trying to get the hell out of it. Actually, one of them was James Brolin. They were they were, they were thinking about going with an American uh, in in the Bond role. Brolin. James Brolin was one of them. Uh, Ian Ogilvy, who also played uh, the Saint, which Roger Moore started off with in, yeah. in, in British television and that sort of thing. He was another one that uh, went uh, went for a screen test, possibly. You know, so a little trivia for you. I know your uh, your listeners like that kind of I stuff. I love when they start talking about the new Bond, like who it's going to be. And I remember for the most recent one, weren't they talking about Rupert Everett? Yeah, as a gay Bond. Yes, yeah, that was. That was uh, I thought that, that was, was great. I thought that was badass. That was a little. He looks like Bond. There. He's a good looking dude. I, I think they made the right choice going with someone who didn't look like the rest of the guys. I mean, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I feel bad that Pierce Brosnan was kind of forced out. I mean, he was doing a good job. I mean, the movies he in, he was in kind of sucked. I can't imagine him being forced out because didn't his bonds? I mean, that was like the rejuvenation of that well, franchise, they, and they I, made like over a hundred million each one. I, I think. think he yeah, was forced yeah. out. I think. Well, he yeah, was, they forced him out. They thought he was probably getting a little bit old for it, but but actually, it was, it's just like a, a football team that decides they want to you know yank a quarterback and throw something else in there or, or, or fire a head coach or something. You want to go in a different direction, and and you want to do something that's going to be not just a rehash of what's before. I mean, seriously, if you look look at it, Pierce Brosnan is like the illegitimate child of Sean Connery and Roger Moore. He's a he's a nicer Timothy Dalton, and and going with Daniel Craig, you know, takes it not only in terms of hair color or size or gruffness or anything like that, but but it, it just sends it into an entirely new kind of direction where you 
you, you refresh a franchise, just like putting a new paint of coat, uh, coat of paint on your house. Yeah, I always thought that Daniel Craig is kind of like the um, Ian Fleming's version of mm-hmm. James Bond, right? That blunt instrument. Uh, yeah. But hold on, uh, we, we, can, we can talk about all this later. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Because uh, Octopus, he was 83, but also in 1983 was Sean Connery's return, which was Never Say Never Again. What is it you're after? In part, it's about your brother. What about my brother? Did you know that your brother was working for Largo? That's impossible. Jack is in the U.S. Air Force. That's precisely why Largo used him. Your brother's dead. Keep dancing. Now, explain to me, either Steve or Steve, why this is considered uh, a bastard child. This was not an official bond? No, no. There was some kind of, of uh, uh, hassle between the, the Broccoli family, and they had their uh, uh, Eon, I think was the name of the production company that they, they produced all those with. And I think, uh, was it Batjack was the other production company that was in there? At that time, though, uh, they had the rights, and still do, to all of Ian Filming's stories and titles and that sort of thing. A a rogue um, production company decided they wanted to do it, decided and talked Connery into doing it. So basically, what they did was was uh, remake Thunderball. Since they since the option had been exercised to make that story, uh, it was I won't say public domain, but in terms of Bond. Uh, the Bond universe, it was there for the plug-in. You could, you could, you could use it in that, in that Really, regard. the Broccoli's didn't own the Bond name? No, no, no. They, 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 owned, they, they tightened up after that. They tightened up their ownership of, of the properties and titles and all that kind of stuff now, so I don't think it could happen again. Right. You couldn't have somebody come, out, come back and do a remake of Octopussy now under a different title right. in, the, in that story. Not that they would want to. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that was just one of those things where the, the series had grown so large and so profitable that nobody had ever really handled problems like that that could pop up with it before the lawyers weren't used to covering you know, filling in those loopholes the title of the of the movie itself is based not on a james bond story itself no ian fleming book mentions never seen ever again mm-hmm. rather it's based on a conversation uh, purportedly between uh, connor and his wife when he said that he would never play james bond again and her response was never say never again mm-hmm. and so that's the inside joke there and I do believe this movie sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what? Now, see, Thunderball is one of my favorites. So I, I enjoyed watching this, not only to see Connery back again, because I think he was, you know, the best of all of them, even though he was very long in the tooth at that particular time. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, I liked watching the, comparing the dominoes, comparing the, uh, the, the bad guys uh, in, in both of them. And, and, you know, Klaus Maria Brandauer versus Adolfo Celli, it's, it's a pretty good uh, yeah. battle there. The, the, the cast itself is not bad because you've got Connery back. You've got Asia Carrera. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, it's Barbara Carrera. It's <laughs> Fatima Blush. Okay. Kim Basinger is there. One of the first times you see her in the 80s. You've got, uh, and then you've got Max von Sydow. Mm-hmm. Who has uh, always been one of my favorite actors? Yeah, don't you have a theory that every movie he's in is awesome? Yeah, and so, I, think so you had, you know, I think you said that before. I own, I think, every movie he's done in the eighties. At least, at Strange least, Strange Brew. Yeah, Strange Brew, yeah. Victory. <laughs> I love Victory. What I'm am still, I doing here? I'm waiting. Uh, for the, the theme <laughs> song "Never Say Never Again" was performed by Phyllis Hyman, which is not a Bond girl name. Believe it or not, that is her real name. Uh, I couldn't tell you how that song goes. I can. It goes like this. See, it sucks too. Wow, that's bad. Actually, I like this movie. It's it's not the worst plot. And if you, if you and if you saw this before you saw Thunderball, you didn't hate it. I mean, it's 
it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's a sure a shitload better than the next movie on our list, 1985, A View to a Kill. You're under arrest. Wait a minute. This is James Stock of the London Financial Times. Well, actually, Captain, I'm with the British Secret Service. The name is Bond, James Bond. Is he? Are you? Yes. And I'm Dick Tracy, and you're still under arrest. See, I'd pretty much given up Bond movies by that time. After after getting disen- disenchanted with Roger Moore, and after sort of getting the nostalgia flashback with with Connery's version, I you know I didn't go to see View of Kill. I didn't I didn't like it. The only the only time I came back was the next one, Living Daylights, when they brought in Timothy Dalton because I was hoping he'd be better than Roger Moore and. Disappointing. Yeah, if you know what kill is, I mean, they it's cut unwatchable. corners. It's unwatchable. It's so bad, the editing, and they got a stuntman for Roger Moore. I swear to God. It could have been you. It, it could have been me in a bad Roger Moore wig, you know? It's, in the, in you, it's so terrible. The only good thing from View to a Kill is the theme song. By Duran Duran. By Duran Duran. Let's hear a little bit of that. I, I prefer Hungry Like the Wolf myself. Well, I think it's uh, that's the second best, or I'm, I'm sorry, third best Bond uh, song of all time. Of all time? I always thought View to a Kill was, I know people are going to hate me for this in the 80s nation, but I, I, I don't really like that song. I, never I mean, look, you just put it as the lead into this show, and it sounded great, did it not? It's got a good beginning. But it, well, it's yeah, got a good middle and a good it, end, it, it, you, it used that kind of stuff that John Barry did with the with the orchestrations before the big horn blasts, or in this case, synthesized types of horns yeah. and so forth to, to match the '80s music, you know, style. But uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's it's one of the top five songs. I would yeah. say. Least, you know. But again, the only good thing about this movie is the is a theme song. But no, I, I do no, believe it's that not Roger the only Moore. Good thing. Yeah, it's the only good thing. I do believe no. Roger, uh, Bond sleeps with Grace Jones in this. That's right? good. Do they sleep together in this? I think so. They should. It's kind of hot. Christopher Walken's in it. How? Is there such a bad? Is there such a thing as a bad Christopher Walken movie? <laughs> 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 like brainstorm. Fifty of them. I mean, everything Walken makes now sucks. Oh come on. Oh, he's in some dreck. I'd say he makes better movies than Max von Sydow. <laughs> oh, throw yeah. down. Daily, you're fond of talking about your uh, your interviews with Duran Duran, aren't you? Yeah, but I never. Um, you never, I never asked, him? asked him about this. You never asked him about this. No, but I saw a cool little quote here that. Uh, uh, Duran Duran was chosen to do the song after the, the very handsome bassist John Taylor approached Cubby Broccoli, mm-hmm. the producer, and said, hey, when are you going to get someone to, uh, decent to do one of your theme songs? <laughs> I do believe he, he was shit-faced at the time when he asked that. <laughs> yeah. and so there you go. That's how they get the job. All right. Let's move on because there's about to be a Norway reference. Oh, yes. Get ready. Get your drinks ready. Take yourselves back, my friends, to the year 1987 and a little classic called The Living Daylights. Cheer up, Saunders. The operation's a success. And officially still yours. I have no intention of leaving it at that, 007. I'm reporting to M that you deliberately missed. Your orders were to kill that sniper. Stuff my orders. I only kill professionals. Girl did no one end of a rifle from the other. Go ahead, tell him what you want. If he fires me, I'll thank him for it. 
Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. Okay, Sean, roll it out. I was at the Norwegian premiere of the Living Daylights. And why in would the, Oslo, Norway? And why would the Nor- why would there be a premiere in Norway? Because the band that did the theme song The Living Daylights was none other than Norway's Aha. Aha. <laughs> God, the Aha is going to be all over me for this show. The Aha. And I think 2 days after I saw this, Trina said these magic words. Mama no. Was it really two days afterwards? Yes. I don't know. I've come on. My revisionist history. God. And two days after that, I cured cancer. God. Uh, funny thing about Aha, Morton Hackett, you know, the lead singer for Aha, was actually offered a role as one of the vill- uh, villain's henchmen and turned it down. Because hmm. he kind of figured uh, he was uh, too busy being a rock star. So he could have been the flea of his generation. Look at how you said that. Too busy being a rock star. Oh, you love. You love just to, to, to mess with the Ahafia. God, they're, they're. Why do you hate Aha so much? I don't really hate him. I just. I, you know, it, this, this all started back when we called Aha a one hit wonder. Like You called them that. Two years ago or something like that. And they got deluged by their fans who were not happy about that whatsoever. And. Um, they all promised to get me an interview with the band, which has never materialized because the band is too busy being rock stars still. Wow. What are but, you doing? But they did, I did go out and just, to, just to, like, you know, to make sure I wasn't wrong, I bought like, the, you know, the greatest hits of AHA. <laughs> Was it a 45? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like three listenable songs on there, and the rest of it I'm just like, uh, it, just, it, it doesn't resonate with me at all. Hmm. They've had tons of hits. Come on, they had Take On Me. They had The Curly Shuffle was hilarious. <laughs> they had the dance mix of Take On Me. Fish Heads was great. <laughs> That's not funny, 007. Anyway, let's bring it back to Bond. Come on, tell me why you love Timothy Dalton so much. This was Timothy Dalton's debut in The Living Daylights. Why do you like him more than uh, Roger Moore? I didn't say I did. Oh, I thought you did. I, did. <laughs> I wasn't listening. He's not listening. I, yeah, I wasn't I know. listening. I know. I, I, I just said Timothy Dalton to me was dull. You know, oh. I, 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 I like the fact I like the fact that he brought the harder edge to it, just a nastier, grittier kind of guy. Even though he was still wearing the tuxes, he still had that kind of debonair quality to him. I thought he probably played, you know, the the hard ass a little bit too strong for the kind of of very sophisticated setups that he was being put in. Yeah. But I but I think that's what, one of the things I like about Daniel Craig is that he has that same kind of edge and and and, and I think expresses it in, in a much more entertaining type fashion too. Um, it, Dalton never impressed me as an actor or anything else. And actually, I've got I've got a Timothy Dalton story for you too, but it doesn't have, have anything to do with me. It was a former Times um, uh, reporter, TV critic here, Jennifer Stevenson, and she was interviewing him at a press conference for the miniseries the uh, the oldest living Confederate widow. So this is like fifteen years ago or something. And apparently, she asked him a question that got on his nerves, and um, he dropped the uh, c word on her. Oh, oh my no. god. Yeah. Yeah, so um, and you know, so that that shows you what you're dealing with here. Oh, James Bond, should, James James Bond shouldn't be talking like that. Yeah, yeah he shouldn't be saying this. I, I love not the one of our employees. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Only we can say that. To <laughs> well, only we can do that to our pledges. <laughs> yeah, I I love living daylights for a lot of reasons. One is I like I like uh, Timothy Dalton a lot because he, he to me he represents who Bond was supposed to be, which is this much more of a despised by his colleagues type of an agent. Well, um, then they should have hired Daly to uh, play the role. <laughs> Daly's the Roger Moore of the, of the I'll Bond. I'll take it, baby. I'll take it. I'll run with it. Yeah. He's the George Lazenby. Oh, that's <laughs> not cool. You had to hit me with the Laz? I'm the, I'm, if anyone's the Laz, I'm the Laz. But uh, I love it that they, 
here we go again. We're, we're, we're jumping around from Czechoslovakia to Russia to Germany to Afghanistan to, to England. I mean, I love the jet setting. I want to see six different countries in every Bond movie. I want to see um, a hot Bond girl, you know, one that I actually you know, would want to sleep with, not some friggin' airhead that you, know, that you see in all the, the Bond movies that come out say, today. If you're looking for a Bond girl who'd want to sleep with you. Oh, no, it's, it's very short. You know, <laughs> it's a, a very short list, except for uh, my Lynn Holly Johnson. But uh, anyway, well, this is by far the best Bond movie since uh, Fear Eyes Only. They were on they were uh, on the Schneid for a while, so this was yeah. good. I just paid seventeen dollars for this last night, and uh, I'm going to watch it t- tonight. Living Daylights. Yep, seventeen dollars. Yeah, because you can't d- get the Bonds for like five ninety nine. No, it's this double discs, you know, special. Ooh, yeah, that, that don't even start with never Daylight. watch that. Oh, now he's bit. listening. Now he's listening. You'll oh, seventeen dollars right now. You'll oh, never watch 17 that. Oh, Somehow you'll watch Beer Fest eighty times a year, but you won't watch that second disc of, of, of Living Daylights. To bubble. Okay, enough about Living Daylights. I've been mocked enough by Daily. Let's fast forward. 1989, License to Kill. There's $2 million in that suitcase. I'll split it with you. You want it. You keep it, old buddy. No! God, what a terrible waste of money. Bit of a stinker, this one. I, I'm glad I missed it. I, really? I, 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 did, I didn't like Dalton in the really? last one. And I was already getting, I, I knew the series was tired after uh. more. Like I said, the Connery comeback was my sort of personal swan song for it. Gave Dalton a chance with uh, Living Daylights. I, didn't, I, I wasn't feeling him. I like this one almost as much as I like Living Daylights. Really? Yeah. Uh, so many things I like about this. A, you have uh, Benicio del Toro there as a henchman. That's always nice. Wayne Newton as Professor uh, Professor Joe Butcher. How I you? do love Wayne Newton though. He is great he in this me movie. Some Wayne Newton. I loves me some he Wayne. Is, I do like when I've seen this him movie. Live, it's he great. saves this movie single handedly. It takes place half of it takes place in Key West, which I love to hang out at. And uh, what more can you say about this movie? It's got the only bad thing, one of the crappiest theme songs of the 80s. Here's the theme song from Gladys Knight. Glass is money in the bank, but that's not a good one. No, but you got to give it. She didn't have the pips. Well, but she, there's no pips. Yeah, but it's, it is retro. He, he, she, he finally ditches the whole uh, aha Duran Duran. You got to have the pips. It, it kind of it kind of rings of Goldfinger, if you ask me. But um, I do like it. I still like the movie. I own it. One of the, one of the only Bond movie from the '80s I do not own. Never, what, never say never again. Steve Persall, please save us with your Sean Connery story. Okay. Um, what is it about? Nineteen ninety four, ninety five. Connery is uh, just is putting out that movie, uh, Rising Sun, with Wesley Snipes, who I'm sure is a, one of your favorite actors too. Rest in peace, Michael Crichton, the man who wrote that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I was in New York uh, for the interviews with that and everything else. So I'm going to have this chance to talk to Sean Connery, which was going to be exciting. Well, one of the editors says because we have the seniority section at that time that's ca- catering to our our more mature readers, let's say. 
And uh, they wanted me to get a story about what it's like. He, I think he was like 67, 66 at the time. And they wanted me to get a story about what it's like to still be a sex symbol at that, at that kind of age. So I'm going to try to be cool and, and lead into uh, to the question about it. I said, Mr. Connery, you know, I work uh, right for the St. Petersburg Times, and, and most of our readership, you know, they're, they're older folks. And, you know, th- actually they're, they're trying to spend most of their time looking for something soft to chew. <laughs> oh, nice. And Connery says, well, you know, I can give them that too. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, wow. And I'm like, wow, James Bond just told me a dick joke. <laughs> it was great. So one of my, one of my, one of my favorite little uh, confrontations there with celebrities. Did you laugh? Did you give him a hearty guffaw? I gave him a, uh, a laurel and hearty handshake. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Ah, yes. Time for Reader Mailbag. Our favorite time of the show when Sean Daly... Gets to talk uninterrupted for as long as he wants. Hey, special bonus uh, issue of Reader Mailbag this week. Interestingly enough, two letters from Men of the Cloth. <laughs> That's true. That's true. The clergy is representing. Um, uh, our first letter says, hey, Steve. I can't really say anything, <laughs> seeing how he's a you know, pathway to God. So, hey, Steve. I discovered your podcast a few months ago. I listened to about a dozen podcasts, and Stuck in the 80s has quickly become my favorite. Listening to Stuck in the 80s feels like I'm sitting around with friends, guys who share a lot of my life experiences. Not if he's in the clergy. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the songs you play were the soundtrack to my formative years, and the movies you discuss were huge to me. I am 43 with a wife and three kids. I love my life now, but the 80s seemed like a lifetime ago. You guys take me back there and always provide some laughter, an occasional tear, and a window to so many great memories. A stained glass window. Keep up the good work. I am always, thanks to you, stuck in the 80s. Pastor Todd Cullop, Convergence, a creative community of faith. Very that, nice. That's very nice. That's, that's a very, very nice, nice letter. I don't know about the Hey Steve. I mean, come on. God loves you. I do a lot. God loves you. At least somebody does, my friend. Letter <laughs> number two. Hi, guys. I'm Paul from Minnesota a Catholic priest who grew up in the 80s. I was born in 77. I heard about your podcast after hearing Sean Daly, the great Sean Daly, on the Annie Up Poker podcast. Naturally, I usually listen to mostly 80s music. I have a fondness for all 80s music. And because Ronald Reagan is my favorite president, I started downloading your podcast too. Too bad he didn't cut any hits. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a great show. Do you know you're messing around with Men of the Cloth, Persaul? Anyway, you've got a great show. The 80s music is great, though of course some bring back memories. Lady in Red played When I Took a Girl to Prom, and needless to say, things didn't work out. <laughs> which, That's which? great. <laughs> I know. At least he has a sense of humor. I do have one 80s tale you might like. As a priest, I handle weddings. We have a person who helps couples choose music, mostly Christian hymns. Well, one day, I'm going over the form, and for the closing song, they have Don't Stop Believing" by Journey to process out of the church to. Needless to say, I think it was the bride's idea, and they had a string quartet, and it worked out, but it was unique. I consider myself the unofficial chaplain of the Annie Up Poker Podcast Nation, and would be happy to offer my services to the 80s nation as well. I love the stories of CCD, by the way, which I couldn't remember what that stood for either. See, I don't feel so bad. I went to CCD. 
You know what CCD is? No, no. What's that? It's where I would go every Sunday and get yelled at for. An hour. It's a Center for Contagious Disease. Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's my Sunday school. Forever stuck in the eighties, Father Paul Kamen from the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Very nice. So CCD is like v- VBS. What's VBS? Va- vacation Bible School. That's, oh. what I was, that's what kind I was of, to. kind yeah. of. It's yeah. no, it's no coincidence. I can't name a single one of these religious acronyms. Hey guys, uh, we have a special long distance dedication just for our men of the cloth. Enjoy. I was happy in the haze of a drunken hour, but heaven knows I'm miserable now. I was looking for a job, and then I found a job, and heaven knows I'm miserable. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, it's the weekly segment where I play a piece of a movie from the 80s, and if you can name it, hmm, I could send you some munchos. If there were any left, (laughs) I ate them all. I still have some boxes of uh, macaroni and cheese. I have uh, some Funyuns, which you've forsaken, which uh, Pastor Todd Collin would not be happy with. You have forsaken <laughs> the, Funyun. the Funyuns. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery clip. What if there's no God and you only go around once and that's it? Well, you know, don't you want to be part of the experience? I'm guessing that uh, Steve Persaud knows the answer to that. That had, uh, that had a little ring of uh, Woody Allen to it. It did. Yeah. It was? Hannah? Hannah and her sisters? You got it. There you go. Very good. Very good. Some of the winners include Todd Collip, Dr. Dan, Bill Rich, Craig Cocor, the man known only as Roan, and our friend Angie, who did send Sean Daly a very nice photo, didn't That's she? That's true. Uh, a beach shot. Finally. Finally, a listener sends me a picture. Instead of the cornucopia of saucy shots that come your way every day. Yep. Finally. Thank you, Angie, for making me feel like I'm part of the show. Pay attention. Here's Angie, this. my email is persol at <laughs> sptimes.com. Nobody, uh, you ever, know what? nobody ever sends me photos. And no, you're going to get like 50 of them now, and I'm still going to get one. So thanks, Angie. Actually, I got Marissa. <laughs> Actually, Marissa sent me a couple. Oh, yeah, let's, move did, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I'm sorry I ate your fish, okay? Anybody? Guesses? None. Mm, no, I'm not going to help anybody out. No. Good deal. Hey, if you know the answer, email us at stuckinews at tempe.com. And then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. Hey, it's Sean Daly's signature event. Time for him to make a complete ass of himself by mocking the music that I love. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery clip. Finally, a band Sean Daly knows something I had about. this on vinyl. That's Toto. I won't hold you back. Yes, I have it on vinyl. You still have it on vinyl? Yeah. Nice. When I come over to the Daily You're not Mance, coming over ever. Why? For being Just so mean to me what I today. said to you during the break? <laughs> yeah, you're mean to me. <laughs> Who won? I bet we had no winners this week. We had a couple. Brent Dozerman. 
Chad Ledoux, Roy in the UK, and uh, Nick Marota of Ottawa, Canada, who wrote. I shouldn't even read this because you're such a. Was it? Is it something good? Insufferable <laughs> stain today. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> I can bleep it. Hey, Sean and Steve. I was whoa, just... whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Sean and Steve. Interesting. You want to read this? No, go ahead. We'll let Persal read it. Hey, Steve and Sean. Ah, see, he's going to mess with it. I was just listening to episode 148 and heard the emails from people who were happy about having VGF on episode 147. That'd be the Vegas girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I, too, enjoy getting to know her, but what's with the neglecting of Sean? He was majorly dissed. He's a huge part of the show, and I missed his witty comments. I'm sorry, they didn't have a question mark there. <laughs> I, I added the question mark, sorry. I was secretly afraid he had left the show when he wasn't at the beginning. Sean. You've got fans, too. Don't let them try to keep you down, man. Emoticon. Smiley emoticon. And VGF sounds great. I'm happy for you, Steve. I love the show. And thanks to you, I can remain stuck in the best decade ever, the 80s. Signed, Nick Murata. Thank you. You have an awesome voice. You do. It's very, it's very sexy. I it's, com- a, it's comforting. I have a, a face made for radio. It's, <laughs> it's comforting. Yeah, I have the voice. Did you want to get like a, a nice a blanket and lay down for a nap? <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Anybody? I also have that on vinyl. <laughs> I bet you do. I'm still eight, not invited to come track. over. Yeah, he has. An I'm eight coming track, over eight there, track. whether you like it or not. He has it on old parlophone. I believe I have a standing invite from the favorite fiance. Ooh, I don't know if you're standing. <laughs> I have a different. I have a different nickname for her. forbidden girlfriend. Oh, mm. interesting. All right, anyway. close it up. If you know the answer, email us at stuckneesattempe.com because even Sean Daly would like to make you his forbidden girlfriend. Nobody does it better. Hi, my name is John Neal and my wife is Jennifer Neal and we're both stuck in the 80s. We love your show. We listen to it whenever we go on road trips. And any chance you can ever get a Thompson Twins show up, it would be very much appreciated. Thanks a lot, and you guys do a great job. Thanks. Finally, we're at the point of the show where we can uh, hear the much-anticipated review uh, of uh, Quantum of Solace by Steve Persall. Well, I'll tell you what, I was, I was impressed with it from the action standpoint. Uh, I, I think it probably has more action and that, like you said, that old school, more, more stunt generated than computer generated uh, type, type of action to it. It starts off with a car chase that is one of the best that I've seen, you know, in, in a tunnel and using the, the oncoming traffic as, as uh, weapons and that sort of thing. Oh, oh, that's cool. And it just, it never, it hardly ever lets up from there. It's also the shortest of all the Bond movies. It's only about, you know, not counting the end credits, it's only about a, a hundred minutes, about an hour and 40 minutes. So everything is sort of compressed down, it's, it, but it still has enough time to throw an interesting you know, world domination scheme that has to do with natural resources. So it's, mm. it's, it's probably, it's one of the more topical of Bond movies too, because, you know, oil plays into this a little bit. Water plays into this a little bit. Who's going to control those kinds of sources? Um, the new Bond girl, this, uh, this Olga Kirilenko, she's cute. I wouldn't put her, I wouldn't put her in the Lynn Holly Johnson category. Thank you. But, uh, but, uh, you know, she, she's serviceable in that regard. And <laughs> serviceable. And, and uh, um, gosh, I can't remember the uh, the French guy's name who plays the bad guy in here. Uh, Mathieu, something like that. He was in the um, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, one of my favorite movies last year. 
and um, you see, he makes a, a decent villain. But like I said, it's so compressed, it's so short, you don't have time really to get bored. And there's a lot of action, and there's a terrific callback to Goldfinger uh, in this too that I will not describe to you. Oh, but, man, but, I'm pumped. But, he... but, but, when, but, when you, but when you see it, uh, you're going to immediately think Goldfinger, and then you've got to think about what gold was then and what is our most precious commodity today. Uh, you know what's so good about Persol is I'm over here like, I am so giddy to see this thing now. Really? I didn't when... hear a word after he said after he said domination. <laughs> When you like something, it, it totally like yeah, I get all yeah. Uh, I mean, sorry, I'm I, I, up I, I'm going to give it a, a B plus, you know, in, in terms of huh. uh, of the grade when my review shows up in the paper, and also if I can put in a shameless plug, I also got a chance to talk to Daniel Craig down in Miami a couple of weeks ago, so I have a, an interview, and Sean's going to put in his well half pennies worth um, on the uh, the best Bond songs of all time and stuff. So it'll be a nice little package there. You can find that online at TampaBay.com too. You know who else has got a unique take on James Bond is. Uh, our friend, the last person we know who, in very Bond-like fashion, is uh, maintaining a uh, fence line on the communism threat in our hemisphere. Let's hear from our favorite, Jeff in Cuba. When you were young and your heart was an open book. It's no secret that there are things that, while individually brilliant, are spectacular failures when combined. Ice cream and mustard... Ozzy Osbourne in the English language, Sean Daly in Crown Royal, which brings us to James Bond in the 80s. We love James Bond, and we love the 80s, which is why it's so hard to fathom why the Bond movies of the 80s are so uniformly lame. And I'm not arbitrarily heaping scorn and ridicule upon the Bond class of the 80s, although that does sound a lot like me. I have actual data to back me up. When you look at the inflation-adjusted grosses of all the Bond films, it's hard to ignore the precipitous drop-off during our favorite decade. All of the 80s films earned significantly less money than the films of the late 70s and those of the early 90s. So what can be blamed for this unfortunate dip in pop culture relevance? It's hard to say for sure, but here are a few likely suspects. Reason number one, the times they are a-changin'. By the dawn of the 80s, the political and social changes that were hatched in the late 60s and groomed throughout the 70s had taken firm root in American society. But James Bond still played by the old rules. This disconnect would later serve as Mike Myers' primary comedic driver in the Austin Powers films. But in the early 80s, it wasn't funny. It was just sad. The scantily clad women? Boring in major roles, offensive in the minor ones. The double entendres? Prosaic relics in an R-rated world. Was Octopussy really supposed to draw a smirk from anyone who had left the third grade? In the post-Porky's 80s, they could have named a character Enormous Vagina and failed to raise an eyebrow. The franchise just wasn't nimble enough to adapt to the new landscape, however glacial the changes may have been. And that was due in large part to reason number two, the autopilot. All five of the official Bond films in the 80s were directed by John Glenn, not the astronaut, although in retrospect that might have been a good idea. This John Glenn cut his cinematic teeth on the Bond films of the late 60s and 70s, and because of that, he held on to the franchise's defining elements with a dogmatic fervor. And it's easy to see why. While he was working his way up to director, any film with James Bond, a couple of bimbos, a few gadgets, and the occasional catchphrase was box office gold and job security. 
and when that combination began to fall flat, he just rolled up his sleeves and packed in more bimbos, more gadgets, and more catchphrases, sending the whole endeavor into a tunnel vision death spiral. But maybe the biggest reason that Bond and the '80s were such a bad mix was a gizmo that could have been hatched in Q's lab, the VCR. In the '60s and '70s, Bond fans were treated to a new film every two years or so, and after it was gone, they could only sit and wait for the next one to roll into town. But the advent of home video cassette recorders meant that the '80s Bond films found themselves in direct competition with the previous Bond films. So while it might have been easy for a John Glenn paint-by-the-numbers flick to fill a theater with Bond addicts jonesing for another hit, it was a much sportier proposition when those addicts could score some 007 24/7 in their own rec rooms. So when the '80s Bond catalog couldn't break free of its past, there was no choice but to blow it all up and start again in the '90s and retool it again in recent years. So what does all this teach us? First and foremost, the days of the franchise film may be numbered. With each film now tethered to a Blu-ray clear legacy, no franchise may ever be able to carry off more than three or four installments without a major overhaul, right, Batman? And Bond, the clear flag bearer for film franchises, felt that tectonic shift most of all. So maybe instead of wringing our hands over the sad state of '80s Bond films, we should herald the fact that the franchise was able to weather the decade at all. Because the only thing worse than a decade of bad Bond is a decade of no Bond. How do I know? Because the name's Cuba, Jeff in Cuba, and I'm right. That was Jeff in Cuba. That was Jeff in Cuba. I always wondered what the front line of democracy sounded like. Hey, we got one last. Moment here. I want everyone to spit out. What is your favorite Bond movie of all time? Doesn't have to be '80s. It could be、uh, any Bond you want. Let's hear them. Goldfinger. Reason two words. Pussy galore. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. I'm blushing. I like you. I'm, I'm going to say、uh, Spy Who Loved Me for two reasons. Pussy galore. <laughs> Sean Daly. Sean,、uh, Sean's more of an odd job guy. <laughs>、uh, live and let die. I always like live and let die when he runs across the alligators. I thought that was very good, good. Very good. Hey, that's it for our、uh, horribly <laughs> contorted and、uh, at times so- sexually awkward take on James Bond. In the meantime, special thanks to、uh, Steve Persall for joining us today. My pleasure. Honored to be here.、Thank、yeah.、You. Special thanks to Lauren Clark and David Peter Kosky for contributing their voices to the、uh, skit in the very beginning. Oh, Peter Kosky's cue is great. Yeah, that's Peter Kosky doing the cue there for us, and of course Sean Daly for、uh, bringing up the rear. <laughs>、oh. In the meantime, we remain、oh. here hopelessly. Stuck in the '80s. Stuck in the '80s is produced by the Saint Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You gotta work with me a little bit.、More. This is your worst show ever. Just so. <laughs> You know what? It is not. When you listen to it, you are such a bag. You're terrible on this. You've said like eight things, eight words total. <laughs> Why、see. do we fight all the time? I'm thinking of eight words right now.、Yeah. <laughs>